For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Welcome into this week's edition of the Believe in Tobacco Road podcast, Believe Podcast Network, the network for professionals. I'm your host, Ryan Stone. Uh, as I told you, we were going to be bringing you some of the most important voices in the ACC. I'm happy to be joined now by the play-by-play man of uh, the UNC Tar Heels this week, Jones Angel, joining us on the podcast. Uh, Jones, well, <laughs> a lot actually happening this week without much uh, sports going on but I guess we'll start there locally in Chapel Hill of course I think it was 37 athletes that tested positive for uh, for COVID-19 over uh, uh, I guess over the weekend or on Monday uh, so I, I guess what's kind of the feeling in uh, in Chapel Hill after that uh, that news came out sure yeah a, a disturbingly high number I, I think that's fair to say Ryan and, and Carolina immediately shut down the voluntary workouts uh, the that the football team had started. Um, those have been uh, paused. Carolina had uh, a bit of a, I believe it was a six week plan kind of laid out that, that was planning uh, to start next week. Um, but they put that on pause right now as well uh, for football. So um, I think the best thing I can say is Carolina basically hit the pause button. And I know I've said that word a few times, but you know, I think that they wanna make sure um, that they don't rush into anything. And especially when you get numbers like that, um, you have to be very aware. And so um, Carolina will continue to uh, act in the interest of safety first, whether that is the considerations with the players, the staff. You know, if the, if the discussion gets to the point where you're talking about fans, um, you know, safety is going to be the first, uh, the first thing that they're concerned about. And so uh, that, that, was not a, that was not the number that anybody wanted to see. Um, and so hopefully uh, those, uh, those folks will isolate. Hopefully none of those uh, guys are, are particularly or are, are feeling particularly bad. They're not having terrible symptoms. And, and hopefully that they get it isolated after that. And so um, unfortunately with this, uh, with this disease, as we've seen, it's, it's hard um, it's hard to get your arms around it. And so Carolina is trying its best, just like everybody else is. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly the case. Uh, and I guess uh, the news that came out on Thursday, first it came from the Big Ten that they were going to go to an all-conference schedule. And now it, it appears the ACC, sometime if they haven't made the announcement yet, sometime soon is going to make the announcement 
uh, that they're probably going to an all-conference schedule with Notre Dame being mixed in in some kind of way. So, so what, do you, what kind of impact do you think that has uh, on the football team? I guess on the athletic program in general. Yeah, you know, it's hard that that news as you and I are, are talking is so fresh. But, you know, I, I think for Carolina, um, it really takes away a couple of marquee games that Tar Heels had at the beginning of the season. You know, their first two games were at Central Florida and then uh, a game against Auburn in Atlanta. Um, there's certainly some financial considerations to losing that game in, in, in Atlanta with Auburn, assuming uh, that the reports that are out there now are true. Um, so that's a big deal. Um, and I think maybe the most concerning part, Brian, is just that it's, it's kind of chipping away at it, right? I mean, it's just the first step of, of what could be uh, more dramatic steps in the future. And so I know that Carolina, and I'm sure that other ACC and other Power Five and other schools across the country have been planning for multiple possibilities. And I know as far back as March, in April, in, in the spring, when everything was just starting to occur and these discussions were being had at Carolina, one of those discussions was conference-only scheduling for football, just to be ready for it if it did occur because they figured it might be a possibility. So uh, if it does, if that does turn out to be uh, the move that the ACC is making, Carolina has at least discussed it. Um, you know, and, and as you and I are talking, we haven't gotten the official word on this yet. I'll be interested to see you know, does that mean that teams are now only playing eight games? Does that mean that they're going to replace non or out of conference games with conference teams? Uh, does that mean that games will start later? You know, I think these are all questions that still need to be answered and, and still are very important things to figure out. I guess another thing that I've seen a lot of people kind of point out is you lose some games when you do this that are actually closer to you than some of your conference games. You know, for example, if, if UNC were playing an East Carolina or something like that, which I don't think they're on the schedule this year, but if they were playing an East Carolina, you lose that game, but you're still traveling to Miami. So it, it doesn't necessarily make the most sense, but I guess the idea is for the conferences to push back and try to have some form of a season. Right. And, you know, and I think also you think about losing some rivalry type games, you know, yeah. Georgia Tech, Georgia or a Clemson, South Carolina. You know, th those are games that in, in this scenario would go away and, and that aren't games that involve a ton of travel. But I think you also can't make. And I think part of the problem with all this, Ryan, is it's hard to make one decision that makes sense for everybody all the time. And, and I think that uh, goes from conference to conference. I think that involves teams within conferences depending on where they're located. You know, for example, if you and I were having this discussion uh, a couple months ago, you know, maybe we'd be much more concerned about going to Syracuse or somebody going to Boston College or something like that, whereas now I think much more of the concern is, hey, do, you know, Miami or, uh, or Atlanta to play Georgia Tech, you know, something like that, kind of depending on where these uh, – where this uh, – where COVID continues to grow more than others. And so – um, I'll go back to something I said at the beginning, man. It's just hard to hit this moving target. It's hard to get it right, and everybody's trying their best, but uh, there's just no, I think, no answer that's great for everybody. Yeah, there's no uh, one-size-fits-all solution. That's uh, certainly the, uh, the case. Again, we're talking to Jones Angel, the voice of uh, UNC football and basketball. So on a more positive note, <laughs> uh, Mac Brown. We need some positivity. That's good. <laughs> Mac Brown has been absolutely tearing up the recruiting trail for, uh, for UNC, obviously. But 
that 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 one big commitment, obviously, was the Tony Grimes commitment out of Virginia Beach. He's the number six player in the country. Uh, what does that do for UNC football? Well, I can't talk about uh, individual guys by name, Ryan, just because uh, part of my employment is within the athletic department. But I can certainly say uh, that when you get a commitment from somebody who is highly regarded, I do think that makes uh, waves within the recruiting landscape because good players want to play with good players. And so you know, I do think that makes a difference. Um, but in a more general conversation about what Mac Brown's been able to do, um, yeah, it, it's been incredible to, to me to watch it happen so quickly. I, I think when that hire occurred, the farther away you got from Chapel Hill, people probably were more skeptical of the hire. I think closer to Chapel Hill, you realize that a lot of the things that Carolina felt that it needed help with were things that Mac Brown had proven that he was very good at. Um, and that is building a staff. That is uh, relationships with high schools in the state in particular. Um, that is, you know, fostering goodwill with the university. Um, you know, these are all things that I think had slipped for Carolina, particularly the, the recruiting in-state um, and the relationship with some in-state high schools. Um, and Mac Brown has been absolutely masterful in building those relationships back and doing it very quickly. And he's doing it several different ways. One is just he is one of the three or four or pick whatever number you want, you know, best recruiters as a head coach in college football. And he has built a terrific staff of people who know the state of North Carolina in varying ways, you know, whether it's Dre Bly or Tommy Thigpen who played at Carolina or it's somebody like Lonnie Galloway who played at Western Carolina but had recruited this state for a long time in his various stops. Jay Bateman, the defensive coordinator, you know, he had recruited the Charlotte area previously when he had worked at Army. So you know, all these coaches had, uh, had already had some kind of relationship in some form or fashion to this area, to this state. And Mac Brown has – he did it the first time here, and he's doing it again now – has said, you know, he wants to build – the University of North Carolina with the best players from the state of North Carolina. And then you go out every now and then to, to Georgia or to South Carolina, Virginia, maybe the Jacksonville area, Florida, something like that. And every now and then you go for somebody on, on a national level. But the main part of your team is going to be this state and the immediate surrounding areas. And he's hammered that home. He has focused on it. He built his staff that way. And you're starting to see the, the results of that now. Well, what is it about when Mac Brown goes and talks to a kid? What is it yeah. about Mac Brown that, that he sells himself in the program so well? Sure. Yeah, you know, I think he has just got the, the it factor where he is so good at the one-on-one -on -one relationships with people. And I think we all know somebody like that who, you know, remembers every single name or remembers what, uh, oh, you know, not your sister, she's in gymnastics, right? How's that going? Or he, he is so good at that, at making you feel like you are the most important person in the world to him when he is talking to you. And I think there's some people who do that in a disingenuous way, but I think Mac Brown is very genuine in it. He, he cares about people. He's interested in people. And I think that really comes through on the recruiting trail. He's been an excellent recruiter his entire career, whether that was at Carolina, even before Carolina at some smaller schools where he worked, and then, of course, Texas and what he did there, and now, again, here in Chapel Hill. 
And in addition to that, he's a really good football coach and, and has the credentials as a head man, has a national championship, has that name value, has the, the total wins, the winning percentage, the Hall of Fame, um, which he was inducted to just recently. Um, and one final thing I'll say, Ryan, is, you know, he was on TV for a while. And so I think some of these kids recognize him from that as well, where they say, hey, you know, they know that he has this level of, of football knowledge and success, and he's this great individual recruiter, but they also have seen him there. And so he has name value because of what he has been able to do in his entire career. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly the case. You mentioned the TV thing, and that was something I, I also wanted to ask you about. What you, You've worked with other coaches, obviously. What's it like to work with a coach that has actually been in broadcasting? <laughs> What's that like for you? It's really easy. It's the easiest part of my job, <laughs> interviewing Mac Brown. Um, no, he uh, – and, and I think it's been interesting because he said that his time in the media helped him better understand – uh, that that coach media relationship and I think particularly at Texas at times uh, he felt like the media was out to get him and he he's not the only coach that's ever felt that way there, there are plenty of coaches who feel that way but I think when Mac Brown saw it from the other side he realized that these men and women are are there to do a job that, that that's what they're trying to do they're trying to find interesting angles interesting stories they're trying to keep people up to date with what's happening with these particular programs coaches players and, and I think he saw that from a different angle and now really understands um, what the other side if you will is trying to accomplish and let's be honest a, a positive relationship with the media is beneficial for the coach and the team as well. And so um, Mac Brown is very savvy in that way. He understands how that relationship can be beneficial. And he understands that, that nobody's out trying to get Mac Brown. He, he understands that we're all trying to do this together. I, I was going to say, it, it feels like it, he, he definitely understands the media thing because he, it, it seems like every time I get on Twitter, he's doing another interview with somebody in another in another radio station in North Carolina. So he certainly is uh, doing that part, uh, I, I would assume, more than he used to uh, when he was at Texas and maybe even the first time at UNC. Yeah, and I think also when your head coach is someone who is very good in, at this and he is so good at selling Carolina – and can do it in that eight-minute hit that he has with the local radio station or the 12-minute conversation that he has with somebody, you know, that's, that's a benefit. And, you know, I think it's also interesting that, you know, Mac has a lot of national relationships as well. And so uh, I think that he has done a good job getting Carolina more into the national conversation. And some of that is, is being out there and being available and, and doing these interviews and, and giving information. And so I think some of those national relationships that he has fostered through his years, both uh, in his coaching career and then also his media career, I think uh, are paying off big time. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly true. You know, we spent about uh, about 10 to 15 minutes on UNC football. I, five years ago, we probably wouldn't have been doing that. We're now, now I'm getting into the basketball questions, uh, as hard as that is to, uh, to believe. But I, I guess, uh, you know, a few positive things with, with the basketball team lately. But the first one that comes to mind uh, was the, the Black Lives Matter video that they put out uh, last week. I, I guess, uh, you know, how much work went into that video, do you know? Uh, yeah, I was not personally involved with that project, but I do know um, it was something that was really important to Roy Williams, and, and I think something that he really wanted to accomplish with that was to have 
his former players and the Carolina family be involved. And so Coach Williams is the one who, of course, led off the video and had some very important things to say. But he wanted to make sure um, that there were players from all eras. I said former players, but there were guys who, who played here that, you know, that when Coach Williams was not the coach as well in that video. So I think it was really important to him to say, hey, this isn't just Roy Williams saying this. This is Carolina basketball saying this. This is every player, you know, from different generations, white, black, old, y older, younger, all these people are, are saying are on the same page and have this same message. And so I think uh, the, the video itself was really well done. Um, I think it was one that, that is a message that's important. It's one that is not just lip service um, from Roy Williams or his program. And it's one that, that they wanted to get out in, in a, I'll say, classy way, an effective way. And I think they did that. Yeah, they, they definitely did. There's, a, there's no question about that. Also, when it comes to the basketball team, they recently landed uh, the number two recruiting class, which was significant because that was the highest class they had landed in some time. And, and also, they beat Duke in recruiting for the first time in some time. So how big of a deal has that been on campus? Well, I think the biggest deal is Carolina needed – needed some more talent. Carolina needed to improve its talent level and it needed to improve its depth. And, and I think the Tar Heels did that with this incoming class. This was a very important class for the Tar Heels. Um, and, you know, Ryan, it goes back to, th there were multiple factors in this, but I do think the NCAA investigation that dragged on for so long um, affected Carolina recruiting. And you saw that this past season where the upperclassmen uh, those recruiting those classes uh, weren't to the same level of depth and talent that Carolina normally has and I am not saying that they're not good players in those classes Garrison Brooks for example of course had an all ACC caliber year and is a terrific player but I think between the fact that you had some transfers in there um, some guys who medically um, weren't able to play in you know, a Sterling Manley didn't play a minute last year for Carolina Jeremiah Francis uh, before he transferred out was, you know, battling injury, one that happened, you know, in high school after he had committed to Carolina um, and the Tar Heels stuck with him through that entire long process. And so there were just all these different things that I think added up to Carolina's roster not being what we are used to seeing the Tar Heels have last year. Even having said that, I think Carolina had enough talent on the roster to have a better season than it did had Carolina, A, stayed healthy, and B, been together enough to, to get better as the year went along at a faster rate than it did. I hope that makes sense. And, and three, also, yeah, the Tar Heels made some mistakes. You know, that they gave some games away. The Duke game at home, the Notre Dame game on the road, the Virginia Tech game on the road. Uh, the, you know, you're going to have a game like that every now and then. But when you have five or six of those type of games in a season, it's hard to overcome that. And so – um, it, it was a frustrating year for Roy Williams. I don't think he ever felt like he had his full team. Um, the guys that he did had when he had them played hard and tried hard. And, um, yeah, it just was a tough year. But they needed talent and they needed depth. And you're bringing in six guys, all who are top 100 kids. You know, most of them are top 30-ish type of kids uh, in, in the recruiting class. And that's important. You're, you're bringing in good basketball players who are going to have to help pretty early on for the targets. 
they, they also, I mean, they bring Brooks back, obviously, which is a big, a big win for them. And I know they, they landed some size in this, uh, this recruiting class as well. So it, it feels more like a, like it's going to be a, more of a usual UNC team this coming season in terms of, you know, big guys that can run the floor and pound the glass and things like that. Absolutely. And, and I haven't studied every roster of every team, but I, I can't imagine there are many that have the depth and talent that the Tar Heels have in the front court this upcoming year. Because remember, Armando Baycott is back as well. So you've got a senior, Garrison Brooks, Armando Baycott, who was inconsistent as a freshman, which is not, uh, you know, unheard of. But, but when he played well, uh, you saw what he could do. Dayron Sharp, Walker Kessler, both coming in are really good, uh, highly recruited, physically mature, good basketball. I mean, Dayron Sharp is, is a beast as an 18-year-old, however old he is. Walker Kessler, I saw him walking by the other day. He is a legit – some guys say they're seven feet. Walker Kessler is seven <laughs> feet tall. And Sterling Manley is, is hopefully you – know, he took a, ended up taking a red shirt last year. You know, you hope Sterling's able to get healthy and back into the mix. He's given Carolina good minutes off the bench in the past. And so um, I, I think you have some high-caliber, high-talent players there that can go against each other in practice, make each other better, and hopefully all contribute in a meaningful way on game day. What's it like when <laughs> – obviously, you know, most broadcast seasons for you, UNC basketball, you're going to be riding high because it's one of the premier blue blood programs in the country. But what's it like broadcasting in a down year? At, uh, at UNC? You know, it was a frustrating year for everybody because I, I'll go back to what I said a minute ago. I, I think the real frustrating part is you never felt like Carolina had its whole group together in any form over a long period of time so they could gel and, and come together as a team. And so that was really frustrating. You, you would see flashes of, of this play, individual player or uh, the team itself have a couple good games in a row, and it, it just wasn't something that they could sustain because I do think the, the fluctuation of the roster made it really difficult. So I, I would say frustrating is the number one thing uh, for anybody around Carolina basketball a season ago. And let's be honest, I, I mean, when we're talking in the bubble of the sports world and in college sports, Carolina basketball is a big deal. You know, people care about Carolina basketball. Uh, they, they care about um, how the Tar Heels do year in and year out. And so to have a down season, um, it, it, you know, most programs have a down year every now and then. Carolina is not most programs. And so to suffer one like that was certainly disappointing. But I think the good news is, as we've talked about, I think Carolina, Roy Williams, his staff, identified some of the problems. Uh, they were able to work through some of the stuff that, that was out of their control a little bit. And hopefully we'll be uh, back on the other side and back where we're used to seeing them. Again, Ryan, assuming that we even see uh, college basketball this year, yeah. um, you know, that's unfortunately, you know, all these conversations have that caveat right now and kind of that asterisk next to them is, you know, we hope we see these guys on the floor, um, but who knows what the future holds. Particularly what's kind of interesting to me about that discussion is if football gets moved back, what does that do to basketball season? Do you move basketball back as well? Do you try to go about basketball as normal? I think that's going to be something really interesting that these conferences have to figure out. Absolutely. And, and I think even from the academic calendar side of things, you know, the University of North Carolina has adjusted its calendar some in the fall to start earlier and try to end earlier at Thanksgiving um, to have everything finished by then for the potential of a second wave of, of COVID. And so um, I think when you're trying to balance all these different things uh, that that can get tricky and, and who's to say, 
you know, I'm not even 100% sure that, that every campus across the country feels good about students being here uh, for the fall. And so um, there are just so many different questions that, that are still out there. But I think one thing that is concerning is that we know the way the numbers are trending right now and decisions need to be made here shortly. You're, you're running out of time to wait. And, and so, and that goes from the academic side of things, the athletic side of things, all of it. And, and so some decisions are gonna have to be made. And, and right now it is not a great environment to be making those decisions. You, you would certainly think that they'd have to make some kind of decision by early August, I, you know, just in terms of logistics, figuring everything out. Absolutely. I think as you and I speak right now, you know, it's, it's the middle or it's the early portion of July. Yeah, I would think uh, in the next three to four weeks uh, at maximum, all those decisions are going to have to be uh, laid upon or laid out. Yeah, certainly true. Again, talking to Jones Angel, play-by-play -play voice of UNC football and basketball. Uh, one other thing I did want to talk to you about, what was your journey like to this job? You know, one of the, the premier uh, broadcasting jobs in college sports. What was your, your personal journey like to this job? You know, Ryan, I tell young broadcasters when I talk to them all the time uh, that my path is not the path that they should expect to take, yeah. uh, nor is it the usual one because it, it was pretty unusual. I started working uh, for our radio network between my sophomore and junior year of, uh, of college at Carolina. I graduated from Carolina, uh, which is getting, uh, sadly, a long time ago now, back in 2001. <laughs> And so between my sophomore and junior year, I, I started working with the radio network. I interned, I'd come down after classes were done for the day, and sometimes I'd help out, and sometimes there wouldn't be anything for me to do. But, you know, I just got to talk to, learn from, be around some great broadcasters. Of course, Woody Durham, the, the legendary voice of Carolina. Mick Mixon uh, was here at the time. He's now with the play-by-play the -play voice of the Carolina Panthers. Um, I learned to do a lot of different things, shoot camera, edit audio, uh, edit video, both back then linear, uh, linearly and now, of course, now digitally. Um, and so I was just able to be around it a lot. And so um, then I eventually got some chances to be on the air. And I did the first thing I ever did on the air was an Internet only broadcast of women's soccer. And, you know, we had never done anything like that before at that time. And so. Then I started doing baseball and uh, women's basketball. Did that for a couple of years. And then when Mick left for the Panthers, uh, I moved into some of his role, host what we now call our host role. So I hosted our pregame halftime uh, postgame shows, did a little bit of secondary color during the game. I would get us in and out of commercial breaks, uh, just some things like that. And so as that went along, then when Woody decided to retire after the 2011 season, um, we did a national search and I was able to get the job. And, you know, quite honestly, looking back on it now, I was 30, uh, I was 31 at the time. Um, and I probably wasn't ready for it, but I, I think I was close enough and they saw something in me and that I knew Carolina and I knew the network. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I hope I've gotten better since then and um, <laughs> that our broadcast has continued to be one of the very best in the country. That's our goal because we cover one of the most important uh, universities in the country, both academically and athletically. And so, um, people care about Carolina. I'll go back to that. They care about the Tar Heels. And so we want to bring them a first-rate broadcast every time we get that chance. So, um, yeah, I, there's very, very few times do you go from being the guy who's, you know, checking records and getting people lunch to, to getting to be the, the job that you want at that same place. What was it like for you stepping into that role of, uh, of the legendary voice of the Tar Heels, uh, Woody Durham, when he stepped away? 
I knew when the transition occurred that it was not going to be easy in the sense that people weren't just going to welcome whoever the new person was with open arms because they had such a great relationship with Woody. That's what they were used to. And, you know, I grew up listening to Woody just like uh, most people in the state of North Carolina did. Um, but I also knew that, that really it was just a matter of hopefully doing a good job and continuing to bring high quality coverage of Carolina because that's what people are listening for. They're not listening for me or for anybody else. They're listening for the Tar Eagles. And so when you're there with listeners for the good times, for the bad times, for the random Tuesday night games against Boston College that you don't really remember at the end of the season, but when you're there with them on these long journeys, you start to build that relationship. And that wasn't going to happen in one week or one year. Um, it just happens over time. And so, you know, this past season, I think was my ninth as, as the play-by-play -play voice of, of Carolina. And so, you know, I hope now you've, we've built that relationship some. And, you know, I, I do think, uh, for example, I, I think a really big moment for me in, in this role was the Gio Bernard uh, punt return against NC State um, because it was the first really memorable play that happened you know, when I was the play-by-play -play voice. And it was such a great moment and such a great victory for Carolina and a play that people enjoy reliving so much. And for whatever reason, people enjoyed the call about it. And so it was kind of now there was this, this different voice, but that was there for one of these moments. And, and so that helped me build some equity, I think, with Carolina fans. And it's funny, you know, people, I have had people say, not as much now, but maybe two or three years ago, I would have people say, uh, gosh, you sound so much more comfortable on the air. And I don't know if that's true. I'm sure maybe that is true. And it's not something that I was necessarily conscious of because I never felt uncomfortable. But I think part of that is people got more comfortable with me. And, and so it's just that that comfort level that you have with the person that's delivering the information um, that you uh, live and die with, because that's what people do when, when you care about somebody or something like a lot of people care about Carolina. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, you certainly have grown into the role. There is uh, there's no question. Uh, about it. Again, we've been talking to Jones Angel, the play-by-play -play voice for UNC football and basketball. Jones, uh, appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast this week. Oh, thanks so much for having me, and I'd love to do it again. Hopefully, we can do it again where all we have to talk about is wins and losses and points and rebounds and touchdowns. That, that's a lot more fun than the other stuff. So, <laughs> thanks for having me so much, or thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, no question about it. Hopefully, we get some, uh, some good news on that sooner rather than later. Uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Believe in Tobacco Road podcast. Make sure you download on Apple and Spotify, and make sure you tune back in next week for our next episode. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.